Welcome to Truth Matters Church and our expository study through the book of Revelation. In this abbreviated episode, we begin our deep dive look at Jesus' letter to the church in Philadelphia, beginning with a brief look at the history and culture of this early church, one of the two churches mentioned in Revelation to receive only commendation. With our introduction to Philadelphia, here is Pastor Alex Cateroja. We will continue our study now in the book of Revelation, and we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. We are now looking at the sixth letter to the seven churches, and that is to the church in Philadelphia. We're going to continue to do the same legwork that we've done up to this point with the other five letters to the five churches, and that is to at least have an understanding of the church in Philadelphia along with its historical backgrounds and its settings so that we can, you know, somewhat grasp those things so that when we read this letter that was a message to them, that we would have a better opportunity to understand the audience better and the intent of these letters better. And it would be no surprise, as it is with the other letters, when these letters are written to these churches, that when it comes to prophecy, you know, it goes from immediate to the future, immediate to the future. And one of the beauties of going at the pace that we've been going on is because we're going verse by verse and kind of walking through it, uh, we're able to at least pick up on this a little better and know that, okay, here it's more applicable to its audience, and then here we know that, well, this is a truth that is beyond them, you know, applying to the believers from there even to the future. And we'll continue to point out when, you know, that may be when, okay, this is prophetic and this is, you know, more of a historical, contextual, and then try to, you know, glean from whatever was being proclaimed and instructed there. So with that, let's go ahead and refamiliarize ourselves with the, at least the geographical setting of our study. These seven letters to the seven churches are relatively close to one another, and it's off here on the west coast of what was then Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And off the coast there is Patmos, where the Apostle John was given this great vision to write these letters to these seven churches and to have these letters delivered to them. And I mentioned this before, you know, the book of Revelation is unique in and of itself in that it contains seven epistles and makes up the greater book of the book of Revelation. So it's kind of like a seven epistle in one on steroids. And so we are, we've been looking at these seven letters to these seven first century churches so that we can you know, first try to understand it in its historical context and then glean from it the promises and truths that transcends even them to the end of the age. So what we'll do first is let's look to Scripture when it comes to Philadelphia. And just like Smyrna, Pergamum, and Sardis, if you were to do a word search of Philadelphia, if you have an electronic device and type in Philadelphia, you'll strike out. It's not mentioned directly apart from Revelation. In fact, the only other, whether it's cities or towns that are mentioned, it would be Ephesus, Thyatira, and Laodicea. So only four Uh, Four letters to these seven churches are not mentioned in Scripture, and that would be Smyrna, Pergamum, Sardis, and Philadelphia. 
So because Philadelphia is not mentioned outside of Scripture, you know, we can only go so far to figure out, well, how did the church in Philadelphia start or how, how did it begin that first century? So all we can do is look for clues. And just like the other three, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Sardis, this is what we've covered already. What are some possibilities of how did the church in Philadelphia begin? They may have began you know, through the peachy, uh, preaching of the Apostle Peter, that Pentecost, that eighty thirty, that year when thousands of souls, you know, Jewish souls in particular, heard the gospel, uh, were, were convicted from Peter's message and believed, and it could very well be that that message from, or the gospel that was received, that the preaching of the Apostle Peter and the apostles thereafter made its way and spread, making it also to Philadelphia. So that's one possibility. You know, for me, I do lean towards thinking, I think this is more of the Apostle Paul, that this church may have started there through the preaching of the Apostle Paul, because when we go back to the map, and we see how they're all close in geographic location. You know, Scripture tells us that Paul, for example, there was at one point he stayed at Ephesus for over, what, two and a half years? And Ephesus is not that far from these other six churches, so it could be that when the Apostle Paul was there, you know, those who were from Philadelphia also, you know, came encounter Paul and his teaching and then went back to Philadelphia and started the church. I think that that's a very likely scenario. So that's a possibility. Um, they could have also been established because of the persecution. We've talked about that in the past quite a bit, and we call this the narrow persecution, and this is well recorded in history. In the early 60s, there was a great fire, and Nero ultimately blamed Christians, and, uh, and thus the heat and the persecution of the church ensued. So believers found themselves scattering from that Roman persecution, and it could be that some of them may have settled in Philadelphia and began to meet in homes there. And last but not least, another possibility of how the church in Philadelphia began was through the preaching of the Apostle John himself. Uh, so that, that's a plausible scenario. So as far as Scripture, that's all we really have to go with. Those are kind of the four possibilities of how Philadelphia how the church in Philadelphia began. So now let's look to history, shall we? Because Scripture didn't give us much to go with. But as far as Philadelphia, it is modern-day Al-Sahir. And like Sardis, it's in the Manisa province in western Turkey. So Sardis and Philadelphia are in the same Manisa province, which is now western Turkey. And the town of Philadelphia was on one of the greatest trade routes of the ancient world, and it linked Europe to Asia Minor, also modern, what's known as modern-day Turkey. And I've mentioned the Attalus dynasty. Uh, so if you, were to, you know, if you were to look to history, how did Philadelphia get its name, Philadelphia? Because as we know, Philadelphia in the Greek is, the, is, is from uh, the Greek word uh, phileo, um, which is translated, you know, Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. So we're, I think, familiar with that description of Philadelphia. But if you're wondering, at least when you look to history, how did the town or city of Philadelphia get its name? It is believed to be from the Attalus dynasty or also the kingdom of Pergamum. And we did a little history before. So after Alexander the Great's um, great conquest, 
when Alexander the Great died, ultimately the, the known world at that time that he conquered was divided into four. And then subsequently over time, one of those four became the kingdom of Pergamum. And then from there, we had what was the Adelid dynasty. Well, one of those kings was King Adelus II, and his nickname was Philadelphus of Pergamosa, or Adelus Philadelphus. And so it is believed that it was because of that king that this town took the name after him, Philadelphia, you're referring to Philadelphus of Pergamum or King Attalus II. And what history tells us is King Attalus II, he envisioned Philadelphia to be a missionary city through which the Greek language and civilization would spread to Asia Minor and beyond. And what also the history books tell us, and how many of us are familiar when the Apostle Paul was at Athens? And if you recall, remember his spirit was disturbed because there was a lot of altars erected to all of these gods. And there was one altar in particular that was inscribed to, the unknown, to an unknown god because they were afraid that they might have missed one. And as we know the story, Paul took that as an opportunity to pro- proclaim to them the true living God and the gospel. Well, that was Athens, and that would be what would be today, Greece. Uh, but as far as Philadelphia... Uh, it, had, it had a little nickname, and it was also called Little Athens because it had magnificence of temples, including other public buildings. So it was kind of like a junior Athens, if you were to read it from a historical standpoint. So there was, you know, history does you know, suggest that they, they too had temples erected and magnificent public buildings. Uh, what history also tells us at least, or first of all, let's even just look at Philadelphia from a geographical standpoint. Um, if, you were to, if you were to Google Philadelphia or Turkey and see where the, the, the earthquake fault lines, there's multiple fault lines in that part of the world. So it was in, in an area where they experienced a lot of earthquakes. And historian Strabo wrote that there was continu- you know, they, it was a town that experienced continuing, continuous earthquakes and tremors. And it kind of reminds me of California. You know, California, for those of us here, we know that, you know, yes, some places might get hurricanes or tornadoes. Well, in California, we get fires and we also get earthquakes. But we have the San Andreas Fault that runs, you know, a good part of California, and San Francisco is right under it, you know, for if you were to look at that. Um, but as far as Philadelphia is concerned, not only was it known for earthquakes because there was several faults, uh, earthquake fault lines in the surrounding area, but it was also known for its soil and having um, renowned soil and exceptional grapes, so it produced great wine. And it kind of reminds me of Napa and Sonoma. So you're like, okay, well, Philadelphia is kind of like Napa and Sonoma in, in California in, as far as its setting. Uh, historian Tacitus, he listed Philadelphia third among the cities of the province who were the recipients of earthquake relief from Rome. So also, if you look at history, back in AD 17, there was a great earthquake at that time. And it devastated many cities, and Philadelphia was among them. So what happened was Tiberius was Caesar at that time because of the great quake. Um, he offered to, or he, 
exempted them from taxes, I believe it was five years, so that they can rebuild their cities. So Philadelphia, when they were devastated by that earthquake of AD 17, to show their appreciation for Tiberius for exempting them from taxes, they changed its name to Neo-Caesarea, which means the new city of Caesar, just to thank him for exempting their taxes so that they can rebuild as a city. But history also tells us that after it was renamed, after they renamed to Neo-Caesarea, sometime thereafter, it reverted back to Philadelphia. So by the time the letter of Revelation was written, so if that great, let's just say that uh, that great earthquake happened, AD 17, sometime thereafter, they renamed the city to Neo-Caesarea, and sometime between that, but before 95-96 AD, they were renamed to Philadelphia again, hence they're called Philadelphia by the time that this letter is written. So they, were, they reverted their name back to its original. Also in looking at history, uh, because it was known for its wine, it was suggested, and we've talked about this particular god um, at least a couple of times, Dionysus, he was the god of wine. Uh, so if you were to look at Greek mythology, you know, which of those gods in Greek mythology would be the god of wine? And that would be Dionysus. He was the main deity of wine and was believed to be revered in that city. But however, prior to the penning of this letter, Domitian issued an edict for Asia province, which required many vineyards to be cut down and replaced with corn. And that was about five, or five years or so before this letter was written. So about five years before this letter was written, it was like the Napa and Sonoma of what we know today. Uh, but then after Domitian e- issued that edict that required those vineyards to be cut down and replaced with corn, they kind of lost that prominence or reputation of being a city with great wine. And also this town was known to be rich in mineral hot springs, and thus it was visited by those for its medicinal and therapeutic purposes. Also in looking at history, um, we will come across a early bishop of the church by the name of Ignatius of Antioch. How many of us have heard of Ignatius? In fact, I believe in San Francisco, there was, there was, isn't there a Saint Ignatius? That's this guy. Ignatius of Antioch. And he was a bishop from 35 to about 107 AD. So about five years after Christ ascended, you know, that's around the time he was born. And then sometime after that, he became a bishop of the early church. Well, concerning Ignatius, he wrote several epistles to several churches that early first century. Smyrna, uh, was, uh, was written to by Ignatius, Romans, Ephesians, or Ephesus, Magnesians. It's, in the, it's close in the geographic area. He wrote to Polycarp. We talked about Polycarp a little bit. Trallians, and he also wrote to Philadelphia. So there is an intersection point, at least from this church in Philadelphia. They were written to by one of the early church fathers, Ignatius. Now, Ignatius wrote, um, I didn't read all of his epistles. I did read the epistle that he wrote to Philadelphia because we're studying Philadelphia. But he wrote Philadelphia, and pretty much he, he wanted to encourage them to be unified, to listen to the counsel of their, their bishop, to avoid division, and reject those who expound on Judaism. 
And in his letter to Philadelphia, Ignatius also commended their exceeding purity, just like Jesus does here. And I do want to say this, uh, as, I re, as I read Ignatius' you know, epistle to Philadelphia, I don't agree with all of his tenets in the epistle. Uh, for example, he did elevate the presbytery and the bishop quite a bit. Uh, and, he, and he did make a comment along the lines that the priests in the, and the priests in the Old Testament are good, but the New Testament high priest is better. Now, I don't know what he meant behind that statement. If he was trying to refer to Christ is better than the priests in the Old Testament, of course, that would, amen, I would agree. But I think it's because of some of his writings that the subsequent church fathers took that quite literally, that the New Testament high priest ultimately fell within what we know as the Catholic Church. So all that is to say, I think some of, because some of Ignatius's, you know, writings, although he would, let's say, admonish or um, he would encourage, in this case, let's say Philadelphia to continue with their purity, um, he did, I, I did see a lot of uh, emphasis on, you know, respect or like be unified with the bishop and the presbytery. And he kept holding that in high regard. So I think over time, as the subsequent church fathers, you know, read, let's say, some of his letters, that influenced them. And they probably took that to say, oh, okay, the presbytery, or now they say, like, they say the priest, the Catholic priest, you need to be unified with them because, you know, they're, they're better than the priests in the Old Testament. And they are, you know, you're the bridge between you and God. So I can kind of see that shift um, in, in the Catholic Church back then because of some of those admonitions. But nonetheless, uh, in this letter to Philadelphia, he did commend their exceeding purity. And there's been some recent ex- excavations as of late, which uncovered a Byzantine church with mosaic floors and a baptismal fountain in Philadelphia, which was believed to have began immediately after the Edict of Milan issued by Emperor Constantine, who legalized Christianity you know, that 4th century B.C. And when you read the epistle, let's say, to, uh, from Ignatius to Philadelphia, and now we're going to read the letter in the book of Revelation delivered by, you know, written by John to the church, there is a mention of the synagogue of Satan. And so you have Ignatius saying, don't listen to the Judaizers. And then you also have John now writing in this letter, as we'll see, you know, addressing that there is a synagogue of Satan. Well, history also tells us that there was this you know, Byzantine church with mosaic floors. So they, they could have been influenced to some degree with Judaism. And lastly, if you're wondering, you know, what happened to Philadelphia? What happened, what happened to that town? Well, it was a Roman town until 1379 when the Turks took it over. And we've heard of the Turks. They're in modern-day Turkey. <laughs> but when you look at history and the Turks you know, took over, you know, at least that, that part of the world, including Philadelphia, it was no longer a Roman town. It is now under Turkish rule. Hence, ultimately, or over time, it became modern-day Turkey and the Turks, if you follow their lineage, it's um, Arabs and Persians kind of together. So that's a brief look at history. So hopefully, at least by just that brief introduction, we have at least some familiarity with Philadelphia. Thank you for tuning in today. Next time, we continue studying Philadelphia with a careful examination of what Jesus meant 
when he said that he is the one who has the key of David. If you've missed any part of our study, you can find them at our website, truthmatterschurch.org, or by searching for us on Sermon Audio. And consider joining us for our study in person or via Zoom every Friday night. Find out more at truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.